Hello and welcome to episode 134 of Three Beers in a Movie. I am Richard Laird and I'm with... Colin McKay. Colin, where are we tonight? Uh, we're in our homes again, but we're back in the, the Casa del Laird and McKay. Uh, I'm casually sprawled out in my bed. <laughs> as, as am I, oddly. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my slippers on and I'm very loungy. Yeah. <laughs> this is cosy. <laughs> Life is annoyingly getting in our way quite a lot recently. We're not having enough time to to get together and chat properly, so it's a bit annoying that, that life is becoming a, a constant yeah, I hindrance. Know. Yeah, I know, but we'll get back, we'll get back to the Raven soon enough, don't, don't worry about it. Agreed, so. agreed, agreed. Are you drinking anything tonight for at home? Um, I'm not, I'm nursing a cold, so if I sound a bit snuffly and snotty and whatnot, then that, that's why, so I'm not, I'm not drinking anything, I don't even have any lemons to drink, that's yeah. how bad it is. I'm at the tail end of the same <laughs> thing you've got, and I'm, I'm on lemonade, so we're both pretty much rocking it just now. Our Three Beers in a Movie podcast is having a little, is not having a lot of beer of the last like couple of months, it's been very quiet on the beer front, we'll have to hit it big in, fe- in February to really sort of make up for it, I think. You implying we get sloshed. I can feel we get really, yeah, properly wrecked in, in, in February and discuss all, all things. Um, but, but, but we've not got a lot to talk about this week because you, you've not seen that much, so really this is just going to be me trying to convince you to go and see yourself a few things. Um, As is usually the case, this is becoming more and more the norm, isn't it? I have it, yes. <laughs> I, I'm, taking this, I'm taking this more seriously than you are. Yeah, <laughs> I've not been, again, it's just that fucking... Old bastard life getting in the way of going to movies and stuff like that as well. It's very irritating. Just, yeah, yeah, mm. unfortunately it is. Um, but before you jump into your movies, um, I have I've watched I've been watching watched a couple of things just now. So um, I've, I've been watching um, the marvelous Mrs. Basil. Yes, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah. It, it, it's very very fucking good. Um, I what's noticed it, when a lot of what's the basic story of the marvelous Mrs. Basil? Um, it's set in the late fifties, and it's all about um, basically a woman becomes a stand-up comic. Um, her husband leaves her, and um, she goes into a bar and just kind of you know waxes lyrical and sounds off. And it turns out she's really really funny, and yeah. she's got a talent for comedy. Yeah. And she kind of started to become a stand-up, which back in nineteen fifty-eight, unheard you know, of. Not unheard of, but you know it definitely wasn't mainstream, yeah. and you know women were very much kind of underground and, and you know kind of frowned upon for, for stuff like that but yep. it kind of focuses on um it, it's got a lot of aspects of real life in it um yep. she's her character's based on joan rivers yes um and it's got lenny bruce in it um, i'm going to ask that has, has it got like, other real life characters in it so you said lenny bruce in it and other a few other yeah, people yeah 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 there's a few there's a few names that i don't recognize as well but yeah there, there's a kind of you know red skeleton and stuff like that so that you know there is real life characters in there as well um, Boy the Players Lady Bruce is really good um, I'm quite into it. I went through a phase I kind of been quite enamored by Lenny Bruce yeah. and I kind of learned a bit about him and you know kind of listened to a lot of stand up and stuff like that and the boy that plays him kind of nails it um, he, he does really good um, the standout in it is uh, Tony Shalhoub yes who's he playing he, he plays uh, her dad in it oh, and right. he is a fucking revelation honestly dude this is like every time he comes on the screen, I'm just mesmerised. Right. I've never seen a performance like it. It's just pure wow. Wow. Absolutely perfect. He's just totally, he deserves Emmys, Grammys, whatever the hell they want to give him for it. He's such a brilliant, brilliant character. That's awesome. Can I like Tony Shiller? Like, I've not seen him in enough things, but everything I see him in, he's always very good, so it's good to see him get uh, some proper recognition. He's just proper runaway with this. He just, every time he's on screen, he just totally owns it, and he's, he's so effortless. He's just, I'm so enamoured by him. I'm just, 
I light up whenever I see him. He's just amazing. Awesome. You see, you you like it a lot. I know it's on your kind of to watch list, yes. and you're always kind of you know catching up. But you 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 like this one a lot when you get into it. Yeah, it's one of those things I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Just haven't got into it. Now I know it's on the second season. I think I think there's more. Uh, season three's three just been dropped, so, so that's three now. Yeah. So three, so it's three now that I watch it. Feels like there's more purpose to watch now. That I know it's not going to get cancelled after one season. I can actually like, sort of tear into it. Um, out of interest, it's set in like the late fifties, early sixties. Is um, Carlin represented in it at all? Have you seen? Is, is George walked in? Not yet. Um, he, I, I suspect she's just kind of breaking through just now, uh, so it's all kind of set in you know kind of one comedy club, but it's starting to kind of broaden out. Uh, so I think we'll see more and more big names. Like I, I expect Jackie Mason and stuff like that. I mean Bob Hawke's reference quite a lot. Uh, so yeah, I think because Carlin was about at that time, wasn't he? Sort of early sixties, wasn't he? he? Might not have been the Carlin we know, but he was definitely around at that time. When was Class Clown? That that was that's the seventies. Was that 70s class yeah, clown? Yeah, he was doing sort of, yeah. he was doing sort of more, it was kind of more just sort of, a, a basically like a sort of, not quite Bob Hope, but he was very sort of, you know, doing the nightclub scene, sort of that kind of comedian back in the 60s, and it wasn't until like yeah. the, the kind of late 60s, early 70s when he grew the long hair, grew the beard, and became like the George Carlin we all, like we, now, love, yeah. we all now know. But yeah, but he was definitely around for a long time, he'd done all the stuff in the cat skills and all that kind of stuff, you know, touring all those places, and... So he, he he done all that. So I'd be interested to see if they actually bring Carl in because that's that, that's one I would really be interested to see if they who, even no, even just a wee nod would be good. You know, I know because you know, an awareness of him in that universe. Like who do you get to play George Carlin? That's 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 a oh that, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky, right, I, I will get back to it, but no, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It and I can see why it's getting so much kind of you know high praise. It's wonderful, wonderful watch. Do you know definitely. do you know one of the biggest fans of that show is this now? Yeah. Uh, Pacino. Is Pacino liking it? Yeah, apparently he loves it. Apparently that's what all he was talking about on the set of the Irishman. He was talking about um, this show. But I, I, I can kind of see why because it's just dialogue. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just really snappy back and forth dialogue, and it's so well. It's the same people. I've never watched it, but it's the same people that done the Gilmore Girls. Yes. And apparently that's similar. It's like, you know you, you, you've got to listen because it just you know it's just. It's, like, gun. it's West. It's kind of West Wing style. It's, it's constant dialogue. It's, it's you know yeah. you, you can't really take a break. But no, I'm, I'll definitely watch the, the Marvelous Miss Maisel at some point. I'm really, I'm gonna get into that. I know cause I've been meaning to watch it for so long, and I know it's something I would really like. Yeah, no, uh, de- definitely. Um, and just before we go over to you and your your, your one man movie monologue, <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching The Outsider as well, which is on Sky Atlantic. I want to see it. Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is um, episodic, so it's getting dropped weekly and uh, that was the third one dropped the other night the, the premise is it's based on a Stephen King novella how much yep. is it yeah it's a novella um, yep. about um, a coach gets accused of murder um, but the coach was caught on camera 60 miles away from the murder scene when it happened but all the evidence in the murder scene points 100% towards him uh, as well oh, what, 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 yeah undoubtedly you know it was him that done the murder he's you know he's like kind of purposely you know put himself in places where he can be seen you know yeah. like, kind of covered in blood and stuff like that so he's like you know blatantly saying i done this murder but then he's on camera 60 miles away so he's like you know when he gets arrested he's like you know that was not me so yeah and it just kind of builds from there it's got Ben Mendelsohn and Jason Baker um, and two really good actors um, it's yeah so people say um, you know, it's so mundane and boring and you know it just kind of it's a slog and it, it's purposely paced and you know it is slow and it, you know it does unfold really slowly and it lets you know they'll kind of do a scene and they'll let it breathe and then on to the next scene and you know there's kind of 
something happens, you know, every kind of 10 minutes, yeah. you know, you will get your kind of, wow, I can't believe that happened. But, you know, it, it, does it just, it smoulders away. That's what it's doing. It's just smouldering and smouldering and smouldering. It's and, weird um, the folk have criticised that. Like, you think in this day and age with, like, sort of things like, sort of, like, Westworld and Game of Thrones, where they were all about sort of building to one moment in an episode and then leaving it at that and then to the next one. You know, people aren't looking for, like, constant gratification. They're actually quite happy just getting, like, sort of a delayed I'm really enjoying it. Uh, yeah. Ben Mendelssohn is is fucking outstanding. You know, I think we both appreciate Mendelssohn anyway. Yes. Um, but he, he's particularly good in this. You know, he, he kind of gives a proper sense of kind of angst and and kind of pain and, and you know, a judging force and stuff like that. And he just conveys it so so well. So yeah. that's a good watch as well. Nice one. Um, what can you say there? Oh, what can I say there? Oh, no, I don't mind. Um, it, oh, that's, does it feel Stephen Kingy? Does it feel like it's a world of Stephen King? Yeah, no, it, it does. There's, yeah, there's enough King in there. Do you know what I mean? That you kind of know you're watching King. Stephen King. It's got his signatures in there, you know, and his styles all over it. Yeah, there's enough in it. That, you know, you, you wouldn't kind of confuse it for anyone else. Definitely, feels the, King as well. Interesting, yeah. the King verse, or not King verse, but the, the Joe Hill King verse. Huh? Um, Lock and Key drops on Netflix next week. Or a week after, what's, sorry. What's Locking Key? What's sort that? of like, it's sort of Haunting of Hill House type thing, but it's like it, all these like sort of doors in this old house have different dimensions they got the link into, and they're sort of, it's, it's very weird and odd and strange, but it's a very good comic book if you get a chance to read it. Okay. Um, okay. So, and he seems very happy with the adaptation they've put together, so I'm quite intrigued to watch that when it comes out. So who wrote it, Joe Hill and Stephen King? No, just, just the fact you mentioned Stephen King, it's just that sprung to my mind that Joe Hill has got something on Netflix soon as well. And we do like Joe Hill. We do like Joe Hill a lot, yeah. 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 Um, so can I you want me to launch into my stuff now? Yeah, sir, go for it. Okay, so thank you. Things that, things that Colin should watch. So, first thing is on Netflix, and it's called Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez, okay. which is a true life documentary that Netflix has been doing sort of all over the place these days. It's a three-parter all about an American football player called Aaron Hernandez who is accused of killing somebody. Um, the First thing you start thinking about when a football player kills someone, you obviously think of OJ. OJ. This is not because OJ at that time had he'd stopped playing football. He had moved on. He was, he was an actor. He'd sort of almost had the naked guns and he'd kind of gone away. This was sort of him. Yeah. This crime happens when Aaron Hernandez is, is literally at the peak of his abilities. You know he is, you know he's he's he's, he's like the starting um, right field for the well, not right field, whatever it is. Running back, running back or something for the for, uh-huh. the for the Patriots. So he's he's at the height of his powers, and then this story breaks about him possibly killing his wife or his girl, his fiance's sister's husband or boyfriend. Oh, and the okay. story sort of expands from there. Um, it's it's very interesting. I didn't find it quite as enthralling as everyone at work has found it because they've all been amazed by this thing. Maybe because I knew the story already. You know, because I'm kind of, I'm more into sort of American sports, so I kind of I'd seen this story and I'd heard a lot about it. So if you've not seen a lot about it, you might have might you obviously get a lot more out of it because it's, it's, it'll be more sensational. More sensational for you, to you, yeah. yeah. Um, it does try and cover too much at times. Like it tries to cover the idea of like mental health and also the idea that college football and what it does to people and the sort of the idea of what the NFL does to people and what the concussion stuff does to people. So it's kind of maybe it's a bit too wide ranging. It could have tried maybe it could have tried to focus a little bit more, but maybe the, the fact the wide ranging aspect of it shows you how this man ends up like he is. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting watch, like if, especially if you don't know the story already. Um, it's definitely which, interesting which, to watch. I don't know, so this is the true story, yeah? Yes, yes. Um, right, so it's true life, so there's no fucking spoilers. Um, did, did he do it? Or? Yes, he did. He, he did, he was yes. convicted? Yes, he was convicted, yes. Right, okay, cool. cool. Yeah. It's just I'd, I'd never actually heard it, so it's just, yeah, fuck, man. Yeah, and it's more of it, like, so how did no one spot this? Apparently, once, once, it, once it gets done for it, all I was about what he was doing and what he was up to, and going like, how did no one spot this when he was in college? You know, he was in, you know, as a player in the NFL. How did how did his team not spot this when their their lives are so, um, like scripted down to the minute of where they should be because of like training, because of like press stuff, because of blah 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 blah. How did no one notice he was also doing this? You know. But, do you know what? I'm I'm always been fond of saying hindsight is a fucking wonderful oh, thing. Oh, totally. Mean? Yeah. And it is easy in hindsight to say, oh, why, why, why? Do you know what I mean? But. Yeah, I think it's, it's not always fucking obvious. No, exactly. It's definitely not. But it's, it's, it's an intriguing, like I said, it's one of these things that's became big now because of like the, the whole podcast serial thing of like, you know, these like sort of stories in a few parts and it sort of builds your te- builds tension throughout it and you're trying and it's sort of, you know, they're, they're, you know you've, you've seen, you've listened to a hundred of them yourself and they're, they're good and they're fine to watch, but sometimes you feel like it's it's spinning a story that could be told in an hour into something that's yeah. taking three hours. But it's, it's still, it's what? interesting enough and it's enjoyable enough and it's again my only big issue with this thing is the same thing I've got with all these serial killer things, is that it kind of it doesn't quite glorify the killer, but it does make uh-huh. them almost an anti-hero to some extent, and the, yeah. the focus on the victim isn't there at all. Yeah, yeah, which a few of them have been guilty of. Yeah, um, particularly that true. that don't fuck the cats one. I felt that was one of the worst offenders, but it really didn't focus. It didn't really didn't tell any story about the fact the guy who was killed was killed. It was just all about other things involved in that. And this oh, yeah. scuts with that. It does have a bit more about the guy who he was and sort of brings a lot because obviously he's, he's tied to the family. But yeah, again, it's sort of like it makes the killer into something bigger than what he was and what he should be. Yeah, this um, true crime at, at the moment is just massive. Yeah. I mean, it really has just in the last couple of years exploded, hasn't yeah, it? It's, it's, not... it's massive, massive business yeah. just now. You know, podcasts and. You know, every second program on, on Netflix or Sky is a you know a true crime documentary. Uh, um, I think you've uh, kind of had it in the head though, where they do take a premise that that is an hour documentary and they'll stretch it to uh, sometimes you know eight and nine episodes yeah. to the point of where repetition just you know uh, it, it becomes. You just said that you know ten minutes ago, and now you're saying it again. Or it tries Bass Ackles, but you're still saying the same fucking thing again and again, and we know. So I think they do. You know, they're stretching it because, well, again, because the market's there now, I guess. It seems like almost any murder or any sort of, like, crime is now, the first thing you start thinking about is, I wonder who will do the, the podcast uh, or the, on this, you know. And I, and I get some of these stories have to be told, but something I like to see, like, an hour and a half documentary on it rather than seeing a, a, a nine-hour podcast or a nine-hour documentary. Like, something to, something to be said for doing it in an hour and a half and telling the story concisely and properly in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think there's definitely a craft, you know, good documentary making. It's a craft as much as, you know, good filmmaking is as well, and there's good and bad out there for sure. Definitely. 100%, 100%. But it's worth a watch. Also on Netflix just now is a French animated film called I Lost My Body. I uh, Lost My Body. Yep, <laughs> and essentially it's all about, there's two Joe stories. There's a story about a young boy trying to sort of pursue a, a girl and try to like sort of make, you know, sort of court this girl. And there's sort of some stuff going on there. And there also is a story of a hand, a disembodied hand, trying to basically find its way across Paris to the body that it was lost from. You, Why? Um, <laughs> very early on, you, you're aware that the hand that's going to cross Paris belongs to the boy. Oh, 
So you, you know the boy's stories in the past. Uh-huh. And you're trying to figure out how does he get to the point where he loses, an, loses his hand. And, and it's it, a, Yeah. It sounds like the full adventures of Fink. Kind of a little bit. Um, it is... <laughs> It's a really beautifully well done film. Honestly, it's stunning. I, I told a couple of guys at work to watch it, and they were like, sort of giving me that look of like, what this is like the the, the, the film geek telling us something they should be watching, but no one ever going to actually watch. And they watched it, and they said it was absolutely stunning. The music's amazing. The animation's sort of not quite Studio Ghibli, yes, but it's sort of that European style, where it's sort of it's not it's not a, it's not the American style. You know, it's it's quite simple and plain, but has this real beauty to it as well. Paris looks well, amazing, and then. Um, there's a dubbed version and a subtitle version on Netflix, so it's pick your poison, what you what you what you'd rather go with. But subtitles always. I'm the same subtitles. It's Dev Patel does the voice of the boy in the, the sub in the dubbed version, apparently pretty decent. But I I've watched the subtitle version as well. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, just a lovely, well done piece of animation and amazing and something that we don't get too often, which is like an actual grown up animation that's not and. Not like Rick and Morty or like Sausage Party, going for the kind of crudity and the comedy. It's it's a genuine emotional, piece of animation, which I I've really quite, liked. Does it tug at the heart? Oh, like, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's it really gets the idea of like love and loss, and sacrifice, and it just it covers a lot of. It's only eighty minutes long, but it covers a lot of bases, a lot of time, uh, a lot of that's, topics in that. That's what I was going to ask. Is it feature length? Eighty minutes as well. I mean, that, that's quite trim as well. Do you know what I mean, because animation can overstay its welcome. Yes. You know, it's a fucking two and a half hours of animation so that, that sounds like quite kind of tidy as well yeah um, it, the, the animation style what, the one we've seen over Christmas with the postman becoming Santa Claus remember Post, is it kind not, of similar to that not dissimilar to that yes not dissimilar to yeah. that there was cool. also a, cool. there was a French film about a couple of years ago I think it's like uh, oh I forgot the name of it it's like La, La Reverie d'Original or something it's called it's um is it, is it The Monster in Paris or something it's called yeah the monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know the one you mean that style of animation right Right. Um, so yeah, so if you get a chance to watch it, it says eighty minutes long. Maybe don't watch it. Maybe watch it first before you show it to kids because there's a couple of bits in it you might want to see if your kids can handle it. Um, but after it was after it was really enjoyed, really ex- really excellent, and I think it's up might might be up for best pitch, best animated picture at the Oscars. Um, sure. it, it'd be a left field choice. I don't think many people will see it at the Oscars in order to get it, but I think it's well worth its um, nomination if it has got one. I'm not one hundred percent sure. Who's who's saying that? I mean, you're saying kind of you know. Be careful with kids. Which who's the target audience? I would say it's maybe young adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even maybe families. Maybe you would watch it and go, yeah, I think, you know, two of the kids can handle it. One of them can't. You know that kind of thing. It's sort of, it's just, it's what people have always said. Animation's not a genre. Animation's just a medium. Yeah. yeah. You know, you could tell, yeah. you, you could tell this story live action or or CGI, or you could tell it. They just happen to tell the story in an animated style. And that's what it's shown what animation can do. That it's it, it's a oh. medium, not a genre. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's just another way of telling a story. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You can tell, it's just a way of telling a story. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's stuff I watched at home. There is another one I watched at home, but we, we're going to get into a little bit more detail because it is deserving of more detail. Um, oh. And that film is it's out in Blu-ray finally. It, was, it got a limited release in Britain, but finally came out in Blu-ray uh, on Monday, and that is Jane Silent Bob reboot. Yay! <laughs> uh, directed by Kevin Smith. Um, obviously done Clerks, Mallrats, Dogma, Tuss, Chase Amy, Chase Lantern, Bob Strike Back, Red State, Jersey Girl, Clerks Two. So he's done a fair oh, bit. Of uh, I thought you were going to get them all. Did you miss any? Yoga hosers, cop Yoga out. Yoga hosers, well done. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll preface this by saying I I am a massive Kevin Smith fan. I've never been shy of admitting that I am a huge Kevin Smith fan. So I am probably going to this film very. 
tainted in my vision of what I, what I want from it. I would, I would honestly hand in heart label you as a, a super fan. But, I, yes, I would, put, I, yeah. I, would, I would put you. I mean, I'm a fan. Um, I would put you. Yeah. super fan. I think the way yeah. you, I think the way you love Star Wars, I love Kevin Smith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I, I've never been shy about admitting uh, about admitting that, and, I, and I, I'm never going to not love him. I don't think. So the plot of this film is, as you can imagine, it is James Silent Bob. Um, essentially, it's a reboot or a remake or a reimagining of James Silent Bob Strike Back, where they've got to get from New Jersey to Hollywood to stop a movie being made about them that's selling their bad names because someone's taken the James Silent Bob name has been lost to them now because uh, this movie studio's taken it, so they want to try and get their names back. Uh, so it is the same story as the original. That's whole point. It's exactly the same plot as the original. Yes. Okay. Cool. And along the film, you've obviously got all the viewers, people come wandering through in varying degrees, um, lots of celebrity cameos, and that's that's basically the story. And it's essentially it's the story of them going across Hollywood to get there. On the way there, they meet um, Jay's daughter. Okay. Uh, and she comes along. <laughs> who's, who's Jay's daughter? Who's playing his daughter? Harley Quinn Smith. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. cool. Um, so she's along for it. She doesn't know he's his daughter. She doesn't know he's his father. So it's it's them sort of coming to understand each other. Um, and she's along for the because she wants to get to this festival thing as well um, in Hollywood as well and try and do some stuff there. So it's a very simple story. It's not really much. It's a, it's a road trip movie in the same way that Jane Silent Bob was a road trip movie. It's it's nothing yeah. um, different in that respect. It's um, just a series of gags set up by. You know, a journey. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so in the film, you've got obviously Jason Mewes playing Jay, Kevin Smith is playing uh, Bob, uh, you've got Harley Quinn Smith who's playing the the daughter of Jay, uh, you get Ben Affleck turning back up as Holden McNeil, Chris Hemsworth pops up in it, Matt Damon, Val Kilmer, Melissa Benoist, uh, Joe Manganiello pops up in it as well, uh, Dante, uh, Brian O'Hara pops up. All the cast of Claire's apart from Randall, it's a real shame Randall's not in it. Oh. I think, okay. I think at this point, I think at this point, having Kevin about your falling out, um, anywhere, anywhere. I think I think they've re made up now, um, but yeah, he wasn't in it, but everyone else is in it. So is um, Will Ferrell? Does he pop up? No, Will Ferrell doesn't pop up actually. No, that's a bit of a shame. Oh, that's a shame. Right, so pause and tell me about because I'm really intrigued about Chris Hemsworth being in this. Um, yes, is big part, small part, small part, but a very funny cameo. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Hemsworth's funny. We, we've spoken about this before. Hemsworth, people have not really. They're starting to tap in it more now, but yeah. Hemsworth is funny as fuck. Very funny, and yeah, also yeah. partly he wanted to be in it because he's a Kevin Smith fan. He said, "I want to be in this because I get I like I love Kevin Smith." So I like that fact that he's like he's using his star power to go, "Can I be in this?" And Kevin Smith's like, "Yeah, of course you can." He's like, "Well, yeah, I want to be in it because I'm a fan of you. Yeah. I'm a fan of who you are." Well, he wasn't doing it for the fucking money. Does no, definitely not. So. Definitely not. No. <laughs> um, so it's. It's fun filled. It's, it's definitely it's a fun film. In the same way James Silent Bob Strike Back was, it's a very knowing sequel. It very much knows it's a sequel. It, it plays on that throughout, which is what you'd expect with a title called James Silent Bob Reboot. It knows exactly what it is, and it knows exactly what audience it's pitching to. It's not trying to pitch to the wider audience. It's pitching to the Kevin Smith demographic. And it aims Wait. solely at that. Kevin's smart. He's been doing that for a while, hasn't he? You know, he's been making movies, I suppose primarily for himself. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is, he knows who's watching and you know he, he's catering to, to his you know to his people and it, it, it's good that he's doing that yeah. you know, he's, he's fearless for doing that he's like fuck it you know I'm going to do what I want to yeah. do fuck Hollywood and He's a raconteur of his own. He he's he's went from James Silent Bob were big at one point and they sort of became recognisable to a great degree. Now Kevin Smith has became recognisable more than James Silent Bob. Like he's a character in his own right. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, people always play Kevin Smith. Yes, yeah, that's that's what that's what's nuts. Um, so fans will love it. There's so much stuff. If you're a fan of Smodcast, there's stuff from Smodcast in there. If you're a fan of like Fat Man Beyond and Fat Man, um, Fat, uh, Fat, Fat Man, Man and Batman. Batman, there's stuff in there for that as well. There's stuff from the Jane Silent Bob reboot cartoon. There's stuff from all the Kevin Smith movies. So if you're a fan of Kevin Smith in any way, there's also so much in it. You know, you get you, you recognize people who go, oh, I know her. That's Kev's wife. Oh, I recognize that. That's Kev's daughter. That's Jay's daughter. That's somebody else's. Family, that's so there's all that in it as well. So, is, is the cock knocker back? The cock knocker is back. Ooh. <laughs> um, he, he owned that fucking. Oh, sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry. The cock knocker, the cock knocker character is back. Uh, Hamill is not playing the character, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame, man. Is Hamill in it? I don't think so. I don't, I didn't, I didn't see him in it. Maybe he did a voice somewhere in something, but I didn't see him in it. Oh, that's a I think the time they're filming this, he was shooting Star Wars, though. Right, so yeah, so they've been busy. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't quite, being a Jedi. Yeah, it doesn't quite move with the same zip as James Knight Boss right back. It does get a little bit bogged down at times. Um, it does become quite clear that it's constrained by budget to a great extent. You know, there's a lot yeah. of everything's all two shots with like two shots at the person and turn to the camera. Da, 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 da. So you obviously knew the people on set for like a day, two days, you know, so they've got to get all their stuff shot and then they can go away and then we'll react to it on another, another day. You know, so yeah. you become aware of that quite quickly. That's like oh, they can tell it's a shot very quickly on a budget, um, and with people flying in and out very quickly. You know, because like Rosario Dawson's in it for literally two shots, but she's in it, and it's great to see her in it. But she's barely in it. You know, um, there's actually a bit of heart towards it in it. The, the, the story between Jay and the, the daughter is actually quite sweet at times, and it actually ends yeah. in a really sweet way. Not quite Clerks too sweet, which actually still brings me to tears, but still. A lovely way to, to sort of end the film, and and what one is one of my happiest things, and I don't want to spoil this for you, but I'm going to spoil it for you anyway. It ends on a pedal jam song, which was uh phenomenal. Which song? You're going to spoil it. You may as well fucking well, go big. It's a song. It's a film. It's a film about um a father and daughter reconnecting. So you can take a guess as to what song from Pedal Jam it would it would end on. Um, alive. No, so it ends on daughter. Oh, daughter. Okay. Yes. <laughs> But that's a weird choice because when you think about that, right? No, let's not go. This is no, no. We're not going to do this one hole just now. We will discuss this later. Yeah. <laughs> when next we meet, sir. Yes, but um, no, but that that to me because it, it always usually ends on a Soul Asylum song, which I think is really sweet. Because I really mm-hmm. like Soul Asylum as well, and he's a big fan of Soul Asylum as well. But to end on a Pearl Jam song, I was like, oh, that's like again, two of my worlds colliding in a yeah in a nice way. Um, yeah. So like I said, one for the fans. Um, if you're not a fan of Kevin Smith, don't watch it because you'll not find anything in it. If you're a fan of Kevin Smith, you'll enjoy it immensely. Not quite as good as James Lamb, Bob Strike Bag, but I still had a shit ton of fun watching it. Cool. I look forward to it. I'm going to, well, you're going to borrow me the rest of the Blu-ray, so I'll yes. <laughs> uh, definitely watch this one. I'll give it 7.5 out of 10. Cool. Yeah. cool. Um, on to the next film, which is some cinema releases, which are still out. Uh, the first one is A Hidden Life, directed by Terence Malick. So, you know... Done. So this is a very slow burning, yes. epic, yeah. beautifully for... short, introspective, retrospective, yes. yeah. thought provoking film. Yeah, <laughs> look at his films. He's done stuff like Days of Heaven, Badlands, obviously, Tree of Life, and it was a Night's Cup he done recently, and also Thin Red Line. Um, yeah. Plot of this film is it's a, it's a guy in Austria. There's a couple of in Austria, live up in the mountains, live in a sort of wee village. Um, when Germany invade. Austria in the nineteen thirty eight, I think it was. Um, essentially, every every um, Austrian male is in, has to enlist in the German army. Um, he enlists, 
but he gets sent home because he's a farmer, so he's allowed to just go back and be a farmer. Farmers were exempt from fighting in the, on, uh, in the war because they need to obviously make food for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eventually, he gets called up. He has to run loan troops, but he refuses to swear allegiance to Hitler. Um, and because of that, he's essentially thrown in jail and he's basically going to get killed for not swearing allegiance to the Fuhrer. Um, in the film... As in firing squad, but they're going to... Yeah, they're going to kill him. him. They're going to execute him, yeah. Not by firing squad, by guillotine. Um, oh, God, which, that's yes. fucking horrendous. Yes. Um, so the film is basically, it's a sort of, it, it starts out with, you see their, their courtship and their sort of early life and their sort of quite tranquil, happy life living in this mountain, stunning mountain um, village. Um, quite, it's quite, it looks like a hard life, but they seem very happy with each other. They seem very happy in what they're doing. Then how this outside world intrudes on it, and then it's him in prison. And the film basically takes place through a series of letters going back and forth between the two of them to try and like sort of move the narrative forward. Um, in the film, you've got the the main protagonist is played by August. I think it's Deal D I E H L. Um, he was in Inglorious Bastards. He's the one in the bar who does the three three thing, the one with the fast bender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. him. Um, you get Valley Passioner as well. Who I don't know from anything. Uh, Matthias Schoenhartz turns up in it as well. Uh, he was in Rust and Bone and a Danish Girl, and I wasn't called Maria Simon, who again I haven't seen in much, but she's very good in this. Um, oh. It does follow all the Malik traits. It is, it's a film based on tone. It's not really a narrative, but it has got more narrative than other films of his. But it's still very much a tone film. It's based on, you know mood and ambience and mise-en-scene and it's sort of it's just you're just supposed to, to feel it rather than watch it if that makes sense no it does anyone that's seen a mallet film would get it anyway it's definitely yeah, yeah um, so it's slow really obviously very slow takes and, and sort of slow movement which is really odd because there's a couple of times when he puts in like archival footage of like trains moving and you're on a train and it's beasting through the countryside and it feels so strange because you're like oh my god I'm watching a Malik movie and shit's moving fast you know, I, I, was like, I was really taken aback by it. Like, oh, this, this just feels uneasy. Um, there is more narrative there than your usual um, movies. Like, Tree of Life is essentially a poem. You know, and it was, yeah. it was almost abstract for most of the film. It was almost incomprehensible in terms of... Yeah, I've never seen it, but I've heard a lot of people saying I don't really... I don't understand, I don't get it, what... what what is this film? Yeah, I like yeah. I like Tree of Life, but there is it's very hard to, to delve into. Um, so this has got more because there is a there's a definitive beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end point to this film, and you can see how you can see how it develops, you can see why it develops, you can see what they're trying to do with it. So that's that might appease people who are maybe not as big a Malik fans, but uh-huh. I think the pacing of it and the, the, there's almost no dialogue between characters in this. It's all done like I said through the letters, and it's very minimal dialogue, all voiceover. So that will frustrate people. I think that it's it's not done in your traditional movie way. It's it's Terence Malick, and <coughs> I mean Hollywood. Hollywood is there's so little out there that is kind of different from yeah. you know fucking mainstream. Yeah. So it's it's nice to see somebody doing something different, and especially somebody like him. You know, I mean, yeah. can do different. You don't know that nobody else can. Yeah, like I said, I don't understand all Malik's films, and I sometimes struggle with them. But I'm exceptionally glad that they are still out there. Like, yeah, I, I want, yeah. I want, I want people like Terence Malik to still exist alongside the fact that we both love stuff like Avengers and Star Wars. We also can appreciate things like Terence Malik. You know what he does because it's like it, it, it's it is art in the same way, and it's something that movies don't have to just be these big tentpole pictures. It can be these really 
mean, this is expansive, but it's very personal, it's very intimate, it's very yeah. quiet. Yeah. Um, and it raises questions about, you know, what would you do yourself? You know, if, if you could get away, if you could get out of a terrible situation in a way that no one else would know what you did and everyone else is doing it anyway, would you sacrifice the person that you are in order to, to do that? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, like in a moral, moral battle. Oh, yeah, yeah so, so that's really interesting about it. Um, like I said, it's not going to be for everyone because it is very slow. It is you know, unusual narrative. Um, but if you're willing to give it three hours, which it is, it is, a, it is touching three hours, it's well worth a, a chance to watch it. And it's something you want to see on a big screen as well. It, it, I always think Malick films don't work as well on the small screen because it's, it's, yeah. it's too small for his vision. They, they, yeah. they do work best on something as big as possible. What I find with this type of film is, because um, I think a lot of people get put off by, you know, three hours. It's, you know, you're on a seat for a long time, but I find films like that, they, they just, they draw you in. Yeah, no, the, I, like, the, I was... the time just becomes irrelevant around the movie, do you know what I mean? Uh, and you're just so absorbed and, and wrapped up in, in that world that the three hours, it, it just becomes irrelevant. Completely engrossed. Like I said, I looked at my watch once, I think, and that was maybe about 20 minutes to go. So, and that's, yeah. that's, that's like two hours and 40 minutes into the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're, you're completely drawn into it and that's the point, it's like any good art can do it pulls you in so deep that you don't care about anything else around you yeah, you're just yeah, completely focused on it mesmerising, I would say that's what I'm for. Yeah, um, and I think we've discussed it before if you had this film at home and you're watching it on Netflix or Amazon or on a DVD you're going to pause it, you're going to walk away you're going to make a cup of coffee, a cup of tea you're going to go in and out, you're going to sort of look at your phone you're going to do other things and you're going to lose what this film is by watching it on yeah. your big screen you're f- forced in many ways to only pay attention to that and because of that you get so much more from the film there's a few other things we talked about recently you can talk about that you know where you feel like it, by, by watching it in the cinema you, you get more from it than if you watched it at, um, at home yeah it's, uh, some movies need to be immersive definitely there's some experiences that you need to go and see on a fucking screen the size of your house I mean, yeah. there's no, no other way to do it and, yeah it's it, movies like that you know you do need to pay attention to you need to be in the moment that that's that needs that platform yeah um so i myself giving it seven and a half out of ten has this got an oscar not at all i don't think I so it would. no it should I, it should get something for cinematography but i don't think it has unfortunately but i think it should get something for cinematography yeah, yeah. okay cool um yeah so seven and a half out of ten cool that's um sound film I, I, I do want to see it but again life is getting in the way of we yeah. having fun and seeing right. so I don't if, know if it's one I'm going to miss or not you know if you go, I mean I, saw, I started going I went into the cinema and seen that at 4.20 and I get out at like something like 8 o'clock you know so it does take a long time to get through it you know you've got to budget some time for it yeah yeah, yeah plan around it yeah yep. so final film of this week is a film called Just Mercy which is directed by Destin Daniel Creighton who directed a film called Gla- Glass Castle a few years ago um, oh is that the one with Woody Harrelson yes um, yeah, I know. Yeah. But before that, I'd done a film called Short Term Twelve, which no one saw, but it's an absolutely brilliant movie. Um, What's it called? Sorry. Short Term Twelve. Okay. It's all about um, like kids working in like a not um, like a juvenile rehabilitation place where kids who go have got troubles go to, and the kids who are looking after the kids are well, people who are looking after the kids are barely are barely adults themselves. They're all like you know, nineteen, twenty, maybe at most. Um, uh. It's the film that convinced me Brie Larson will be an absolute star, and. She obviously now is. Yeah, you were not wrong, sir. You uh, were not yeah. wrong, sir. Yeah, me and Stu both saw it and were absolutely, I'm like absolutely blown away by it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal film. If you can find it on Netflix, I think it's on there. Look it up. It's absolutely brilliant. Great, a great, great movie. Um, cool. Plot of this film. It's a very simple story, unfortunately. It's um, in a very well trodden story of 
a man in Alabama, a black man in Alabama, gets accused of a crime he did not commit, but because of the racism that's endemic in that part of the world, um, he is convicted of the crime, and he's put on death row. There's a young lawyer comes in um, to try and intervene and try and prove that what actually happened, and also and try and negotiate the Alabama legal system, which is set up essentially to keep this man in jail and, and eventually kill him. And, 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 it's, and it's him trying to... Okay. Push, you know, push against that 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 system. And so who's playing? Who's playing who? You get Michael B. Jordan's playing the young lawyer, and he is very young in it. And apparently, the, the guy who's done it in real life was a very young guy at the time as well. So actually, oh, is, is this based on a true? Based on a true story, yeah. Ah, right, uh, okay. Um, so he plays the, the young lawyer, and you get Jamie Fox playing the the gentleman on death row, who, whose name is Johnny D. That's his sort of name that everyone knows him by. He's got an arm. He's got a real name. I can't remember what his actual real name is now. Um, you also get Brie Larson plays like an aide to Michael B. John. She plays like sort of like the legal assistant. Um, you've also got O'Shea Jackson Jr. He plays someone else on Death Row. Uh, Rafe Spall or Rafe Spall. Oh, Rafe, Rafe, yeah. Is doing his best southern accent and he's playing like sort of the district attorney, uh, prosecutor, sorry, huh? of um, of Alabama. And Tim Blake Nelson plays sort of a crucial witness uh, in the case. Cool, that's quite a, quite a kind of meaty cast as well. Meaty, meaty, solid. Yeah, meaty, meaty, solid cast. You can see what attracts people to this kind of film because obviously nothing in this film will come out from badly because it's it's normally one of those sort of real, you know, proper social issue films that, that people yeah. you know people like to get behind. Um, it is a very solid film. It is a very routine legal drama, um, and there's a lot of stuff in it that feels like it's a trope, but yeah. it, but it's only a trope because unfortunately it is a trope, you know. Yeah. The idea that the like the one white person telling the story is believed over the fifty black people who are telling a completely different story. You know that kind of thing. Uh-huh. You know, you're like, oh, and it's you're watching it going, it can't be like that. But then you realise it is like that, and it's still it, yeah, it was like that. Yeah, and as much the, as, you, as you say, it's it still happens. This yeah. is not set in the nineteen fifties. This is set in the nineteen nineties. Yeah, so it's sort of 20 years ago? Yeah, and what's even more insane, about, even more amazing about it is the, the, the murder took place in a town called Monroeville, which uh-huh. is the town where Harper Lee is from. So it's where she wrote Killing, Kill Up to Kill a Mockingbird. So they're very big on, like, this is a great civil rights town because we've got this courthouse where Atticus, where Harper Lee's dad, you know, was talking in court and, you know, against racism and things like that. And it's like, yeah. but you're all just endemically racist. Like, there's a, just this structure to it, you know, that, that forces the black community down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it is really tough to watch at times. You know, when one of the characters says, was it um, every black man in this town is born guilty? It's just a matter of time until they find out what he's guilty of. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, yeah. the, and that's the, the world they live in. Um, so, it's, like I said, it's. It's very, very good. It's very, it's 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 excellent done. It's it's a really good, well told story, um. And like I said, it is unfortunate. It does feel so tropey and so like sort of. I've seen this before because you kind of have seen it before and you have heard it before and you've read it before. And it's like, oh, I can't believe that this is not this this, this is not it's not like a retelling of the same story. It's a different story with the same things happening in it again, and again, and again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just say it seems to me like you know it's a trope, but it's necessary that. Sadly, it's still necessary that it has to be told, and yeah. it's even sadder that, as you say, it still, still happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cast are all excellent. Um, Fox is actually very good. At it. I think yeah, I know you're not a big fan of Jamie Fox, but he's actually very good at it. Quite subtle in this. He doesn't. He's not trying to chew the screen up. He's he's 
kind of quite quiet at times for a lot of the films. So yeah. He's very, very good in it. Michael B. Jordan, even without a chin, as you always put, um, he's he's also very good in it as well. Brie Larson needs more to do. She didn't have enough yeah. in the film, unfortunately. Um, Ray Spall is excellent um, for what he does in the film. O'Shea Jackson Jr. doesn't have enough to do, but when he's in it, he's he's, he's good. Uh, and Tim Blake Nelson gets like four scenes, but he's Tim Blake Nelson and he absolutely chews those scenes you know, for all they're worth and is, is very good in them. Yeah, because it earns his pain and off he goes. Yeah, but no, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's a solid film. It's one of the ones you can maybe watch on Netflix and probably get just as much out, just as much out of than, than watching it at home. Um, but like I said, it, it's more sad when you're watching it going, this, it, it shouldn't feel so familiar to this world, but it, it, it feels annoyingly familiar. Yeah, all too relevant. Yeah. Uh, uh, 7 out of 10. Is this, does this one have any Oscar hype at all? It, it did get it, but didn't get any any, any nods. I thought Fox might have got an odd for um, supporting actor, but nah, nothing. Nothing? Okay. And, and yeah. I think I think that the reason why is it because it, it does feel too familiar. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, just quickly on, on the, the kind of, I know the Oscars thought it come and we'll kind of dig more into it, but um, there's kind of quite a few rumblings already, kind of, you know, whitewashing and stuff like that. So it's, it's a shame that, you know, there's films like this, an opportunity to, you know, fucking bust those gates open and say, no, you know, it, it's not, but sadly, yeah. Aye, there's something, I can't remember the exact stat, but there's something like 65 or 45 African American actors have won an Academy Award. Or nominated for an Academy Award, and of them, something like seventy-five or eighty percent of them have been nominated for playing a slave. Yeah. Mm. They're not getting nominated for anything else, you know, for other, yeah. for other character roles. They get nominated for playing this one thing, and yeah. says more about it. Um, but yeah, so like I said, you're just mercy. It's still out in cinema. Seven out of ten. I think it's worth seeing. Um, and it's like I said, you'll you'll recognise far too much in it. But yeah. we are. That's all the film for this week. But Colin, you want to give some condolences to. A hero oh, yourself? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, kind of hero, a hero to many of us, I think. Um, found out today, um, sadly, that um, one, of the, one of the Pythons, um, Mr. Terry Jones, um, passed away today. Um, so I think the world's going to be, be a, a less funny place yeah. um, without him. So that's um, another, another one of my heroes, you know, going up to the, the pearly gates. But if nothing else, I'm sure he'll put a smile on God's face and, you know, amuse amuse everyone up upstairs yes. as well so yeah. that's a, a big loss I'm kind of really really sad about that aye um, it feels like sad someone who makes someone who makes you laugh passes yeah it feels, yeah. It feels a little, the world does feel a little bit sad even though you don't know you obviously don't know the person you don't know anything about them but when someone that you've that has made you laugh so much in the past um, goes it does feel really it feels sore yeah, I mean, I've kind of been watching Monty Python, you know, if it was a wee boy, and I'm a massive, massive fan of the movies. I've seen Hogwheel probably more times than anyone should, probably yeah. a healthy <laughs> amount of times. And, I mean, so it's just, like, kind of ingrained in my culture, and, you yeah. know, it's, it's kind of made me a kind of wee bit, I suppose. I mean, there's yeah. something there, and it's, it's just a shame when you see your heroes kind of, you know, slowly but surely um, declining. Yeah, uh, that, was so that, was, that was a wee sad blow today. I remember when, when Carlin died, I, I was in a funk for about three or four days after it. Like, really, ge- uh, a, a genuine, absolute funk when he died. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, that seems... Like, it, the world yeah. seems a bit shitter because of it. Yeah, they, they, these people, they affect your life. Do they, they, they kind of mould, you know, oh. a bit of your personality and who you are and stuff like that? I mean, you lose them, do you know what I mean? It does, it kind of, you know, it kind of eats away you a wee bit inside, do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, a wee bit of use, kind of, 
Wilkesbury as well, I know. which, which I... is a shame. Yeah, yeah but, but we've still, still got a few left over. We were saying there's four left, so we've still got you know still got a few pythons there, um, you know, to to carry the flag for us. So you know. And I read cool. one of the python books recently. I read what Michael Palin's book recently, and he's very very fruity, very very good. Uh, which one did you read? Um, Erebus. It's a story of a ship. It's all about a, a ship that sailed from that went further south of any ship ever back in like the sort of you know the sail days. You know the yeah. 1800s, and it was, it got lost in the try to find the Northwest Passage through through Canada. It only got found only the ship only got refound like in 2017. Oh, well, uh, so it's really, uh, really well he's, done. He's a, he's a talented writer. Very talented writer. Read, really engaging story. Told the story really well. It's like sort of yeah. Um, a few years back, uh, I read um, his his diaries, and it was um, I think the first one is ten years worth of diaries. Uh-huh. Um, so it's you know it's a fucking it's, it's a book. <laughs> yeah. It's a few thousand pages worth, yeah. um, you know, and it's just like basically a day to day account of you know him kind of you know finding the pythons all the way through to the life of Brian. I think it was. Wow. It's about ten years, and it's just every day a wee entry. Um, and yeah, he, he, he kind of writes so beautifully. Uh, yeah. he, he really does. You know, he's such a charming, lovely, yeah. lovely man, Michael Palin. Um, so let's hope the, the, and hopefully the, he stays for a long time. Right, let's hope the pythons hang on for a bit longer. Mostly. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, no Michael Knight this week. Um, why is that? Uh, Cameliers were not playing this week. They're, they're a couple of weeks off, I think, because of... Um, Bad weather, and also I think they've got a week built in of like sort of a break week, so they've had that built in as well. So yeah, so they're playing again on Saturday. So Mike and Mike next week we'll get Michael. an update on on the, the amazing Mister Furlong. Yeah, uh, no relation to Edward. No, we're just as far as we know. Um, but <laughs> next week we'll get a few films that are still out we've not seen. So Bombshell is still out we've not seen that. Um, I've heard yep. interesting things. Um, more amazingly, I've heard interesting things about Bad Boys for Life. Number one, that it's not horrendous. Yeah, we were speaking about this today. Uh, there have been some very, very glowing reviews about Bad Boys for, for Life. life. <laughs> we were mocking this film a few weeks oh, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Why does this film exist? Yeah. Apparently, exists because it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and in a world of <laughs> infinite possibilities, there's also the possibility that Bad Boys for Life could be good, and apparently, we live in that world. Um, so, we're intrigued to see that. But out new this week, we've got the remake of The Grudge. Oh, God, so that's not a remake of the remake, remake of the Grudge. Yes, um, you've also got yeah. a film called The Turning, which is another horror film that looks kind of weird. Um, and also, which one I'm looking forward to the most, a new film from Amando Anucci, uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield. Now, this, to me, seems boring as hell. I think, um, I think it looks funny as hell, but I'm, I'm a more cultured man than you. You are far more cultured than me. I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued by the horror films. <laughs> okay. I'm not the Amando Anucci film, but... Um, you can let me know how it is next week. I shall. Um, Colin, tell me where to find us. You can find us at all the usual places, Freebies and the Movie, on Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So look us up, um, say hello, and look at the nonsense we post. I've been Colin, you've been... Richard. And uh, we've been... Freebies and the Movie.